All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Uh, and we are now at verse 14, and this is on Jesus' final discourse, uh, really where he really is outlining his theology to his disciples. Uh, and we are going to study today what I will call the second characteristic of the church. Last week, the first characteristic was joy, joyfulness, the joy of Jesus Christ. This is now the second characteristic of the church. It is holiness. And so Jesus is going to speak about this beginning in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the, by the truth. Your word is truth. So there it is. Jesus is praying that we stay in the world, that we be protected from Satan, and that we be sanctified. And we're going to talk about this issue of sanctification and holiness because God's uh, demand for us is that we be a sanctified, holy people, and we'll talk about that. In order to understand what that means, you almost have to focus on what it does not mean. And I want you to see what Jesus says about this. If you turn, please, to Mark chapter 7. And the best example of what holiness is not about is to study the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus will focus on that here in Mark uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 3. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Holding on to the meaningless traditions of men. You have raised and elevated legalism to the point that you believe legalism is holiness. And what I'm going to spend much of today about is to showing you what legalism is and why legalism is, is so abhorrent to God. Legalism is not holiness. The fact that the Pharisees lived in this proscribed manner uh, in which they had ceremonial washings, while they wouldn't affiliate uh, with Gentiles, while they wouldn't even touch anything that a Gentile did. And it would go on and on and on, even in the way that they observed the Sabbath. It all became legalism because it was not holiness of the heart. It was not holiness from God, but it was holiness prescribed by legalism. And God uh, really detests this uh, in, in a clear way. And so, effectively, God has said to us that we are expected to be a holy people. This is what he says to us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so you understand what it means to be called out to be a people of God, that God has poured his grace into your heart. He has given you mercy. He has saved you forever. And so you have become a chosen people, not because of your legalism, not because of your social mores, but because we should exhibit the love of God in our lives. That when we walk in this world, when people see us, they will see love and mercy and justice, uh, but not legalism, not a prescribed social set of values. Uh, and this is import, important for us to focus on as we want to be the kind of people that, that Jesus wants us to be. So what is holiness? Uh, some, some people have identified holiness with a culturally determined behavior pattern. And I'm going to say things that might offend some people, and please forgive me. I don't mean to be offensive. I'm only giving you what I believe uh, the Holy Spirit wants me to teach and what I believe is in the Bible. What do I mean by a culturally determined behavior pattern? Well, for some people, they have determined that it's, it's not about gambling, that, it's, that, that if you're a certain kind of Christian, you don't smoke, or you don't drink, or you don't go to the movies, or you don't go to bowling alleys, or if you were like I was growing up, you didn't do anything that was fun. <laughs> it was very simple. If I needed to know, and I know my sister is, is laughing but wincing at the same time, if you needed to know, well, what exactly could we do? It was very simple. Is it fun? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, then that's out. Because <laughs> Jesus didn't intend for you to have fun. You understand? You're supposed to be a peculiar, holy people. And people will know that you're peculiar and holy because you're not having fun. <laughs> You'll stick out. Now, the next question would be this. Well, who will come to my church to get this gospel? Nobody. <laughs> you understand? Nobody. Nobody will be attracted. So here is, here is this basic misconception, that you can come up with a set of social characteristics that will define your holiness. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that. I don't go there. And, and, and we elevate this, and there are so many churches throughout the world that have established these proscriptions, thinking that it is the, the very definition of holiness. It is not. Here is the definition of holiness. Are you reflecting the love of God? Are you reflecting mercy? Are you reflecting justice? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? And these things are not the fruit of the Spirit. They are the manifestations of legalism that were first manifested by the Pharisees. So don't go thinking that these kind of manifestations, these kind of social uh, mores are in fact holiness. They are not holiness. They are not. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that really, really, I believe that God has called me to speak about because I, I saw it firsthand. I understood what, what that's about. And here's the thing, folks. Here's what happens when you walk down this path. When you walk down that path, then anybody else who doesn't do the culturally determined manifestations that you have defined as holy is what? Not holy. You understand? They're not holy. 
And so then if they're not holy, what's the next step? You don't affiliate with them. You don't, you don't bring them into the family of God. And don't we understand that, that if we are to do what God wants us to do, we have to go out into the lost world. We have to bring the lost world into the church. You're not going to save anybody by leaving them on the sidewalk. You want to bring them from the sidewalk into the church to let them see the, the love of God. Uh, and so what happens here, and the danger of this, and this is the danger, it breeds a false Christianity according to which men and women are justified by, to God by their outward manifestations. Their outward cultural manifestations. They are the good Christians. They are the holy ones. Instead, don't you see how God repudiates that? It's what he said to the Pharisees. Why is what Jesus said 2,000 years ago not, a fa in fact, the laws of today? Jesus repudiated that. Uh, and we're going to see it from time and time again. Jesus constantly told them, it's not about what goes into a man's mouth that convicts him. It's what comes out of a man's mouth. All right? And yet they had all of these incredible dietary prescriptions that you couldn't have this and you couldn't have that, as if that was holiness. That is not holiness. And so let's understand this. And so what we see here is understanding what God has determined is real holiness. Now, Paul had found this to be true also as it related to Israel in his day. And Paul distinguished clearly between this kind of holiness that I'm referring to. He called it righteousness. And it was not a good term, righteousness, um, um, as opposed to true holiness, which comes from God and is always God-oriented. He said of Israel, quote, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's Romans 10, verse 3. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They defined righteousness their own way. Look also at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Boy, did he get it. He got it. He understood. These, these regulations, these social mores, this legalism does not in any way really reflect the true righteousness of God. Uh, the true righteousness of God is reflected in your heart, in love, in mercy, in justice, in how you treat the world. It is not as to these things. Uh, uh, legalism has never been an indicator of holiness. And so the biblical idea of holiness becomes clear when we consider words that are synonymous with holiness, and those words are name, namely saint or sanctify. And, and Christ uses sanctification, sanctity, in verse 17 in this passage that we read. Well, what is a saint? And my father had a very good explanation of what a saint was. 
And he used it by, by using the very word itself in the definition. He, my father would say that a saint um, is a conscious penitent and an unconscious saint. Meaning what? It was someone who did not consider themselves holy, but understood that they, that they were a recipient of the grace of God. And as, a, as a, a recipient of the grace of God, they understood their heart and reflected the, the, the needs of their heart to God and were penitent and asked God to forgive them and have his love in their life. And yet as they did that, as they were consciously reflecting penitence to God, they became as they did that consciously, they became unconscious saints. They became sanctified and holy because of the grace of God. And so it's, under, it's, it's clear to understand that. A saint is not a person who has achieved a certain level of goodness. All right? It's not a certain level of goodness, but rather it is one who has been set aside, set apart uh, to, to himself by God. How does God do that? He saves you. And when he saves you, he brings you out of this world. Meaning what? Meaning you are no longer controlled by the world's values. You are now controlled by God's values. And as you are controlled by God's values, you actually become a saint. And I gave you a number of citations here uh, in the outline, in, in outline number four, in which you see repeatedly the epistles were written, the opening paragraphs of the, of the epistles constantly referred, they were welcoming to the saints, welcoming to the saints. Um, and so clearly, as we understand this, Jesus is saying here in this verse, I sanctify myself that they may truly be sanctified uh, in verse 19 of this section. This verse does not mean that Jesus makes himself more righteous. Let's understand that, okay? Jesus is 100% perfect. All right. He can't be more perfect than perfect. Perfect is already achievable. So what does he mean by I sanctify myself? It means that he is separating himself out for the work that he has to do for this world of salvation. He is separating himself out by his death. And so if holiness is to be understood, true holiness is to be understood. It is to be understood within the framework that I just gave you, that Jesus, even though perfect in every way, indicated he had sanctified himself, meaning he had separated himself from the world's values, from the secularism of this world, to in order to accomplish a task that God had called him to do. Um, and, and so it's important to understand this, uh, and it's a, an example to us as a paradigm. So if holiness has to do with separation or consecration. And if believers are already holy by virtue of their being set apart by God himself when he saved you, uh, why does Christ pray for our sanctification? If we're already holy, if we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, if God has poured his grace into us, if our sins are forgiven, why does Jesus pray for our sanctification? Well, he prays for our sanctification because you remain in this world. You walk in this world. This is a sinful world. This world is controlled by Satan. And so as you walk in this world, the dirt of this world, the sin of this world will inevitably come up upon you. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to see Jesus. Yes, you're going to spend eternity with God. But at the same time, your walk is being deflected. Your ministry is being deflected. The dirt and sin of the world come up. 
And so Jesus is praying for your sanctification, meaning constant communication with God, prayer to God, Bible reading, study, uh, and, and penitence, constant communication. Lord, set me apart. Help me to do the work that you want me to do. Help me to live up to the calling that you have given me. We are saved because God expects us to give the gospel to a lost world. That's why you're saved. And that's why you are separated unto God. And so when we say about being separated unto God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to mix in with the world and let the world see our lives. It means he doesn't want you to become entangled with the values of the world. It's a very different uh, lesson. And so we become worldly. We become worldly when, in the sense that the world's values often remain our values and the world's priorities, our priorities. Now, I can say that, unfortunately, you can see this today in what I call the secular church. And the secular church is all over the world. That is a church, effectively, that focuses on the world's agenda. It doesn't focus on the agenda that comes out of the Bible. Uh, and many of these so-called churches do the following. They reject the Bible as the revealed, inerrant, word of God. And let me make it to you very clearly. If, if you are affiliated with a church that reflects the, that, that rejects the Bible as the inerrant word of God, find another church. Okay. Find another church because you are not receiving what God has determined that you should receive through the Holy spirit. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. All right. It's very clear. And if you reject the Bible and you're not being led by what's in the Bible, then the only other alternative for you is that you're being led by the world's values. And that becomes the secular church. Uh, and so some of these churches, some of them also reject the divinity of Jesus. I don't even know why I have to speak about that. Obviously, you people understand this, but you're going to come into contact with people who are come from uh, religious views that will reject the divinity of Jesus. Let me tell you something, frankly. If you're in a building and somebody starts talking to you and, say, and, and tells you that Jesus is not divine, get out of the building quickly. Get out quickly because the roof could come down. You understand? The roof could come down. All right? Seriously. I mean, there is no other basic premise from the beginning of time that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We know it in the beginning. It's from Genesis right through Revelation. Don't ever let that, that go by. And if anybody ever makes that statement to you, in love, you have to correct them. And you know how to correct them. We spent a lot of time on apologetics. You can go back and demonstrate all the things that prove that Jesus is, in fact, divine. Not the least of which is the fact that he's the only person who ever defeated death. And there are 500 witnesses who saw that happen. So don't ever let that happen. Uh, and, and some of them, again, some of these churches reject the authority of God in our lives. You don't have to have the authority of God in your life. You know, you, you, you have a certain set of moral values. Let me tell you about moral values, all right? Let me tell you about moral values. I was, the, I was the president of the board of an elite private school in New Jersey. Uh, it was a school that my son went to. And while I was there, that school adopted Aristotelian ethics. Now, Aristotelian ethics are tremendous. Really, it's great. It's, it's a way for the world to find out what they're doing wrong with their lives. But I said to the headmaster... I said, and by the way, the school got 
Because of this, the school got the Blue Ribbon Award for Excellence. I went to the White House. I went to the White House to get that award. Um, and, uh, and so it, it was an outstanding program. But I said to the headmaster, who was so proud of it, I said, the only problem, Dr. Greer, the only problem with this is that the only way humanity can follow these pr principles of ethics is with the grace of God. That unless the grace of God is poured into our lives, you could have all of the ethical standards that you want and you can't live up to it. You understand? You can't live up to it. You're doomed to failure. So yes, you understand what, what the standard is. And it's the same thing in the Bible with the commandments. Why do you think God gave us the commandments? Are the commandments designed to save you? Let me make it very clear to you. No commandment is going to save you and bring you to God himself. Your com commandments are designed to show you what the flaws are in your life and make you understand that you can never live this way that you are doomed to failure other than having the grace of God himself poured into your life and allowing you to live that kind of life. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. This is clearly needed to be understood. So when you come across people that make these statements, you need to be able to, uh, to show them that what's the authority of God and what God gives us. And so what happens then? Here's what happens when you wind up going on this side of the equation, when you, when you side with churches that say this or people that say this. What happens then is the church becomes irrelevant to life. It's irrelevant to life, all right? Uh, and, and how can I say this? Well, they, what it is is that they've decided, these other places have decided that you overcome sin by changing social structures. Oh my, I'm going to overcome sin by changing social structures. Doesn't it seem like that's what the world has been trying to do from the beginning of time? If we change social structures, then we will live in a more equitable society. No, we won't. The only way you're going to change the world is through Jesus Christ. There is no other remedy, no other remedy. So let's understand that. That's the only way to be liberated from oppression and sin. And so uh, faith is no longer defined uh, as believing in God and taking his word at face value. Instead, uh, faith is redefined. Faith is now defined as changing the world's social order uh, and, and redefining justice. Evangelism is also redefined. It is no longer defined as carrying the gospel of Jesus to a lost world. Rather, it is working to overthrow social injustice. What did Jesus say about the poor? The poor you shall always have. Meaning what? Meaning that well, Jesus understood he had a heart for the poor. His heart broke for the poor. But that our focus is not on the poor. It's on the cross of Jesus Christ. And as we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ, then out of the love of Jesus, we care for the poor. You understand? We care for the poor. We care for the prisoners. We care for the unjust. But we don't treat the symptom. We treat the disease. And the disease is sin. And it's sin that can only be answered by the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so this is a really understanding what it means to be holy. This is the holiness that Jesus has defined here. 
Uh, and so this is what it is. And so here you see in, in emphasizing these terms as priorities, the church neglects what is what it is really called to do. The church is called to carry the cross of Jesus. The church is called to elevate Jesus Christ. The church is not called to address various social inequities. It is not called. It is called to address sin with a capital S. And as we address sin, then all the other issues fall, fall uh, into place. Uh, this has always been the strength of the church of Jesus Christ. You want to go back to the early church. You go back to those early days in Jerusalem, and you will understand that. Look, they lived under the rule of Caesar. You want more injustice than that? If you spoke improperly, you were crucified. They say that at one point, that Nero crucified so many Christians that their bodies, when set on fire, were lighting the roads at night. I mean, my heart breaks when I think of that. But yet you understand that's not the call of the church. The call of the church was not to inspire social revolution. It was instead to make people Christians. And here's what happens when we make people Christians. The reason that slavery was effectively abolished was because of a man who started in England who became a Christian. And even though he was a former captain of a slave ship, so repudiated that life once he became a Christian, nobody had to tell him. Nobody had to tell him and go back and redress this social issue. His heart burned with that injustice because he had been called by Jesus Christ. He understood sin. You understand that? He understood sin. Uh, and that's the nature of, of understanding what true holiness is. This is what true holiness does to you. It elevates your view. And so now you're no longer really obsessed with various uh, oppressions that you see in front of you or various injustices. You see the cross of Jesus and everything is defined by Jesus and every aspect of your life, you see it. And so this becomes so important. And so Jesus is making this very clear to us. This is the kind of holiness he wants in our life. This is what he is praying for. And so he says, Lord Jesus, he's praying and he says, God, Father God, I've given them your word. I've given them the very word that you have told me to give them. And then he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What does this mean? Sanctifying by the word, your truth. Sanctify them through the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. This is how you get sanctified. And as Jesus is praying, I gave them the word. Nothing is going to sanctify you other than the word of God. When you read the word of God, you're going to be inspired. Uh, and you'll be brought to your knees. You'll understand what the needs are in your life as you're being sanctified, and God is praying for this. And so as, as we see this, and we see the paradigm of Jesus, we understand that by doing this, we become increasingly, increasingly separated unto God. Understand that? Separated unto God, meaning it's God's values. It's God's world. It's God's wisdom. Uh, and as we separate unto God now, now as we focus on that, we are separated from this world and we grow in practical holiness. What do I mean by growing in practical holiness? Do I now wear a whole set of holy clothes? You understand? Oh, no, no. No, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. No, I, I don't go there. No, I don't go there. Instead, Instead, what do you do? You see people see the light of Jesus, the love of God, 
The, the, uh, the, the fact that when there's a need, you're the first person there to take care of those needs. When you see people suffering injustice because of the love of Jesus, you're there. Who else would go to prisons but for people who are sold out to Jesus? All these things, and you serve in church, and you want to see people brought to church. You have a love for the lost. You want to see lost people come to faith. You don't judge them. You don't sit there and go, oh, you're going to hell. You're a loser. You have this sin. By the way, and when we start talking about sins, and this is another case of legalism that's on my heart, you know, and we all have in our heart a secret list. Uh, some of us, it's not so secret. Uh, a list of what we believe are the sins based on the point value. We have a point value of sins. You understand that? I've spoken about this before. You know, murder is 10 points. That's the worst. Uh, then maybe adultery might be six. Then stealing might be four. Uh, and then stealing from the government is actually a bonus position. You get points back. So you get points back because after all, they stole from you. You're just taking back. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, I mean, I'm making this to, to make the point. How ridiculous is it to have a point value of sins? Jesus, sin is a sin. You understand? Sin is a sin. Yeah, I know. We have the white glove very sophisticated sins. No, we're not out robbing. No, but we like a little gossip, a little gossip, a little slander. You don't understand what I'm talking about. You think that's any different than stealing? You're stealing somebody's reputation. And so here's the point. We have to understand this, that God is not calling you to be a fruit inspector. Oh, I like the fruit inspector job though. Somebody has to tell them that they're wrong, that's right, and that's the Holy Spirit. You understand? It's the Holy Spirit that has to tell them that's wrong. Yes, we thank God that we'll have teachers and, and, and preachers who will preach the word of God, and through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, inspire the Holy Spirit to teach people what is right and what is wrong. That's why we bring them from the sidewalk into the church, so that they can hear those messages and eventually get convicted. And so this is important to understand this whole issue of holiness. Holiness doesn't mean that you're a fruit inspector. Holiness doesn't mean that, you, that you're higher on the spiritual food chain than anybody else. It means that God has saved you. He brought you to salvation. He's given you the grace to live that kind of life. And now he wants you to be separated to God, to be able to show other people what it means. Uh, and, and I want you to turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse, verse one, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Hey, wake up. Does that sound like the world we live in now? You understand? Wake up. It's now. It's now. This is what we are. And so God is telling you, don't have a form of godliness. Don't have a form of holiness. 
Be really holy so that your life reflects Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way. There's no other way that the world is going to understand what it needs to do. Uh, And so the danger for us as evangelicals is that we become secularized. We become secularized and we have lost our vision of the cross of Jesus that instead we become really ruled by the world's values. We're not ruled by Jesus. And I have a a list of things that you can consider, uh, kind of a shorthand way to show you the danger of of being secularized. Are you a secular Christian? Do you make decisions without determining God's will? Do you do that or do you pray to God to to show him your will? Uh, Do you care more about what others think about you than what God thinks about you? How many of us are worried about how we're perceived by the world? Uh, are you being led by money rather than the Holy Spirit? Are you focusing on how much money you can make or how much money you can accumulate? That's a secular life. Um, are you attending church pr- uh, primarily for the social aspects of church? Look, church is great, but we don't go to church because it's a social party. We're going to church in order to worship God. All right, and if you're finding yourself doing anything else, then you're outside uh, of God's will. Are you mimicking pop culture in your life? Okay, are you mimicking pop culture in your life? Or are you the kind of person that says, I don't care about pop culture. I'm serving God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Um, and and uh, is God only a part of your life or is God completely in your life? Are you defined... Is your entire life defined by your relationship with God? Uh, Do you have a lifestyle that does not seek God? I mean, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Lord, am am I embracing a lifestyle that's really focusing on me, or am I focusing on you? Uh, Does your life impact others for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's a big one. You have to ask yourself that, because if it's not, then you need to get on your knees and ask God to pour his, his grace into your life in order to do that? Uh, and are you helping to make disciples of the Lord Jesus? Are you bringing people? Are you bringing people to faith? Are you showing them what they need for their lives? Are you impacting their lives? Are you sh- giving them the grace of Jesus Christ? Are you a person that shows love and mercy and justice for people that need it? Or are you a person that has become a fruit inspector? You don't ever want to be a fruit inspector. So Jesus tells us here what holiness is about, why we need to be holy. He prays that God will deliver us and sanctify us and keep us safe from Satan, who is constantly prowling around, looking to drag us down and to take us down so that we cannot serve God. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us, for the words that you've given us. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the words that you've given us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, inspire us to walk with you, to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Father, deliver us from legalism. Deliver us from false holiness and show us real holiness, the only holiness that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ as you pour that grace into our lives. Father, protect our people, be with them, and wherever they go, bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.